You're entering the Side Mission Podcast. Three friends that love gaming and love experiencing original content and old school classics give their thoughts on the latest releases and newest topics in the gaming industry. Power up and let's get started. Welcome in everyone to the newest episode of Side Mission, a historic one at that. As always, I'm the captain of the ship, Rusty Ellis. Joined by Captain Ray Tracing, Kyle Lynch, <laughs> and by Mr. Nintendo, Matt Begg. For the first time ever, all recording in the same location. This is a big episode, boys. How y'all doing? Dude, we're doing pretty good. We've been, having a, we've been having a blast out here in Utah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, man, it's been very exciting. Kyle's been a great host, and I am just ready to finally do a podcast in person with the boys. The cap from that mat. Anyways, uh, yeah, so today we're going to just talk about E3 a little bit. We might be a little bit late to the ball game on this, but uh, E3 is come and gone. You know, it's been a, it's been well over, I think, what, almost two years since our last E3? Yeah. Last yeah. one was in 2019. Didn't happen last year due to COVID. Uh, good return to form. What were some things, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, on the Nintendo side, what were some things that stuck out to you? Um, Nintendo announcing Metroid Dread, which is the first 2D side-scrolling Metroid game in about 15 years, was probably the biggest announcement for me. I mean, those uh, that trailer popped up at first. They started off talking about Metroid Prime 4 is still in development. We don't have anything to show, but here we go. There's a new series coming up from the new from Metroid, and then there it was. Now, the biggest kicker was the fact that Metroid, the name Metroid Dread, has actually been talked about amongst fans for the for the past 15 years this was teased around uh every so often when make metroid prime 3 there's like a little easter egg there that says metroid dread is com- uh, close to completion and it was also talked about being a fan game at one point but nintendo shut it down in its prime like right when they were getting close to announcing it prime i see what you did so there. <laughs> i see what you did there so that was that was just so cool to see just the fact that metroid is also seeing this new love coming in from like new fans because you know, all eyes are on the the, uh, the developers and the publishers on during E3, and just seeing the new love coming to Metroid has just been really nice to see, and I hope that this is a return of form for the series. Kyle, big Zelda news as well, man. So tell me, what were some thoughts about Breath of the Wild 2, what we were able to see? We finally get the announcement after, I don't know how many months ago it was, when we got the Skyward Sword announcement, and only beat em ups on YouTube was excited. Uh, <laughs> but talk about Breath of the Wild 2, man. What, what excited you the most about that? So, Breath of the Wild 2, I gotta say, I'm probably one of the only Zelda fans who is not excited at all. Because I enjoyed Breath of the Wild, do not get me wrong, but I think that I'm just one of the people who prefers one of the more traditional Zelda formulas where it's not searching... 500 different shrines you instead have like seven dungeons that you go through in each dungeon you get an ability or you get an item you go and you fight the boss the end i think that breath of the wild was a masterpiece for what it was it was so different for the zelda genre and for breath of the wild 2 to happen it's very very different because we don't ever get sequels to yeah. zelda games that's to, what i was i was like, gonna ask about that because i'm pretty sure this is the first first time ever that there's been a a, a new a number in a title for yeah zelda. yeah and like i don't know I, I i i have a lot to talk about the trailer but i was just i was just not excited for this because i really wanted to see the next zelda game be a you know something that returns to original formula and something that goes back to you know what i'm familiar with my my comfort zone and and then I saw the trailer, and I'm excited again. I have fallen for the hype because 
boy, there is so much here. Like, okay, so first off, we have to talk about the fact that Link is apparently missing an arm and has a robotic one or somehow gets some sort of robotic upgrade. Hey, Rivet made it cool, bro. That's true. <laughs> but, like, like what what happened there? What, I want to know, where did his arm go and why does he now have abilities he can use through his arm? And do we still have the Sheikah Slate? Is that going to be in play? Like, are we going to need to use that? Because I know that... Was a big part was, of Breath of the Wild, yeah. Yeah, it, it, the reason for the Sheikah Slate was because this game was originally being built on the Wii U, and so the Sheikah Slate had a lot of functional um, functional ability with the touchpad, and it, it works with the Switch. But with Breath of the Wild 2, I don't really necessarily see a purpose for the Sheikah Slate. So I, I, I'm just curious, like, what all are they going to be doing different? Because I'm I'm not going to lie, I thought this was just going to be a carbon copy of Breath of the Wild 1. Same map, a few different enemies, some different weapons, same boss, because we know it's going to be Ganon, just different form, and, you know, the end. Well, it ended up being that it looks like we're getting, a, you know, maybe not a new map, but a map that has changed significantly enough to where I'm not looking at this thinking, wow, this is just Breath of the Wild 1 Hyrule. You know, I've explored this entire map, and I think that the map was massive. It was huge, and there was so much to put in there. And at some some places, you know, it was kind of dead. Some places, there wasn't a whole lot of life. But I think that it, with this game, with, with them, you know, having done all the work that they did with Breath of the Wild 1 and learning from, you know, the, the positives and the negatives... I think that this game has a lot, a lot of potential, and personally, I think this should be the... I, I know that it it's probably going to end up being a trilogy because everything has to be in threes nowadays, unless you're Valve. Everybody can count to three. <laughs> yeah, true. But, you know, something else you mentioned the rule of threes. This is technically the third different game we're getting in this Hyrule as well because Hyrule Warriors... You know, from last year, Age of Calamity also took place in this same world. So now let's switch over to the Microsoft side of things, since obviously, uh, obviously, everyone I think day one wanted to call Microsoft the winners before Nintendo went. I think Nintendo proved to actually be the winners because of how well they did with Metroid and and Zelda. Um, everything they've revealed that's you know going to be coming out next year, and there's a lot for them. Uh, let's talk about Microsoft and kind of what we think they showed well, because there are some people. They were enamored with everything they saw, whether it was Starfield, which I personally thought was kind of disappointing. Um, that indie game that's starring Daisy Ridley and somebody else. Who, it's that is it James uh, McAvoy? It's it not was, yep, yep. Was it James McAvoy? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that, that indie game and that looks interesting. Um, what before I get to my thoughts on that because I feel like I'm going to be the negative one here. Uh, Matt, talk about what you liked from Microsoft. Was there anything that really stood out to you? Uh, so, when I was watching the Microsoft conference, a few things that stuck out to me. Um, it was nice to see, you know, the Halo 3 multiplayer, but at the same time, it's like we knew that, you know, Halo Infinite's multiplayer, what we were going to get, and it reminded a lot of people from Halo 3, which is what, like, a lot of people uh, were, were talking about uh, when they showed off the trailer, and then they were talking about the uh, story player, uh, the story campaign is going to be separate from the multiplayer. Uh, they kind of left uh, the release date, just holiday 2021. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get an actual release date, and I kind of feel like they're playing it safe because I feel like there's a potential pushback to 2022. Yeah. And because I feel like if they were confident enough to have a release date for Halo Infinite, we would have gotten it 
uh, we would have gotten at least a December release date, but instead uh, we got Forza Horizon 5? Forza Horizon 4? Forza Horizon 5, yeah. Right, which I think looks beautiful, yeah. but it, it falls in the same category that a lot of these car games, these realistic car games, kind of all look nice. Like, even Gran Turismo from Sony's yeah. side of things looks yeah. freaking amazing. Um, so, I mean, I, I do want to give it a try. I haven't really been, uh, played a lot of Forza, but I don't know. There's something about watching that gameplay that was really nice. And then, um, I think the, the last thing that I can really point out is Microsoft did have quite a few announcements. Um, they talked about a lot of these day one Game Pass games, which I think is fantastic with Psychonauts 2 fine game release date of August 25th, day one, and a couple of other things that aren't coming until next year. But the problem is with these announcements is they just are announcing games that aren't coming until next year and they're not giving us gameplay like i'm excited for new ips like microsoft announced something called contraband but we yeah. got nothing from it and then they announced what arcane studios next game is we got a nice cgi you know trailer from it but we don't know what it's going to be about and it's hard to get excited for games that yeah. we don't see gameplay <laughs> of and that we don't have a lot of confidence in microsoft for we were saying that before we got on that CGI trailers, it is hard to get excited for those anymore because back when the PS3, Xbox 360 days, we were getting CGI trailers. We were getting trailers that were showing off pure cinematics that were clearly rendered up, all you know, done up all in, ed in the editing process and were made to look this good to, you know, to show us off. But the problem is that worked back then, it doesn't work nearly as much now. Now we need to see more in-game cinematic. We need to see gameplay. We need to see what the game's going to look like because that's how you run into a cyberpunk situation. That's how you run into that is you don't show gameplay and you don't allow people to show gameplay. Um, I'm with you that there is positivity to them putting a lot of things on Game Pass, especially you look at Psychonauts or Back for Blood, the spiritual successor for Left 4 Dead. Um, I can't help but feel that there is a sense of... there. Microsoft is gaining a sense of urgency, and that's a good thing because I think they realize how far behind PlayStation they are. PlayStation, in, its, in the PS5's first, shoot, what, eight, nine months? They've yeah. given us the Demon's Souls remake, which was fantastic, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which, yes, is on the PS4, but is clearly built for the PS5. Clearly built for the PS5. Mm -hmm. uh, just recently, you're talking about games like Returnal and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Those are four system sellers right there. Mm -hmm. And that's not factoring in a game like Hitman 3 or Resident Evil Village that on those next-gen systems looked and played fantastic. Xbox hasn't given us that yet. In fact, Halo Infinite was supposed to be a launch game with the Series X, Series S. And I'm with you 100% on the fact that the reason we don't have an exact launch date, my prediction, clip this now, it's going to get delayed to 2022. They are setting us up for that. It is going to get delayed to 2022. I hope it doesn't. Because if it does, I mean, it's just going to get crushed by God of War Ragnarok and Game of the Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, I mean, and that's the other thing we're pointing out here. is Ragnarok, That game coming out in 2022, that's saying all these games in 21, you guys can have Game of the Year this year. Yeah. We'll let you actually compete for it. Games like Rift Apart, like Returnal, like Village. You can have it this year. Because nothing's going to win it next year over Ragnarok. Yeah. But I, I do think, looking at it from a positive perspective on Microsoft, I think, Kyle, you'll agree here, it's a sense of urgency. They realize how far behind they are. But gaining this sense of urgency, I think, long-term, is going to pay off for them. For sure. I definitely think that, uh, you know, with, with Microsoft bringing so many games to Game Pass, it's awesome for the people who do have Game Pass. You know, it's awesome for people who... You know, Xbox is your main console, and, you know, there's a lot of games that are coming out for you to play. And watching that E3, 
with the Xbox being your main console, you were probably excited. You were probably hyped because you're like, wow, all these games are coming to Game Pass. And that's awesome. But for us, we have the PlayStation, the Switch. You know, a couple of us have PCs. And we've got the Xbox. You know, why do I own an Xbox when they don't have any games coming out? I mean, like, I'm not trying to just be really harsh here, but... Everything we saw in twenty in E three was for twenty twenty two, and that's great for twenty twenty two. I've owned this Xbox since twenty twenty, and I haven't seen a single exclusive. Meanwhile, I got my PlayStation the same week, and I've been buying exclusives, you know, every other month. Yeah. Why can't Xbox put out that same stuff? And you know, w with Halo Infinite, I'm excited for that. I am super super excited for Halo Infinite. But I think we not we need to remember the fact that this game was supposed to come out. As a launch title, I, I think it's fantastic that they're making the multiplayer free. I think Halo Infinite should be free. I think the whole game should be free. Why am I going to pay 70 bucks for a campaign that I should have had when I bought my Xbox? Like, I, I'm very conflicted because the game obviously needed to be delayed. But did it need to be an entire year? I mean, broken is broken for sure, but... I mean, I think that we could have dealt with some, you know, as long as they weren't game-breaking glitches or crashes, which if they were, you shouldn't have had a release date to begin with if you're not that done, you know. If you're not that close to finishing your game, they should never have said this is going to be a launch title. Like, I don't know, I think I'm just salty because I'm a big, big Halo fan, and I'm very, very upset with how Halo 4 and Halo 5 have gone, and... I think Halo Infinite is the last stand, and if it fails, Halo is a dead franchise. Nobody will buy any more Halo games, because we're tired of putting our faith into a studio that, you know, with 4 and 5 has showed us that they only cared about the money. They didn't care about what we wanted. They didn't care about what we said, and, you know, I think that Halo Infinite is them finally caring. I think it's them picking up the mantle and saying, okay, let's do what Halo 3, Halo Reach, Halo 2 did, Halo 1 Combat Evolved did, you know? And that game might not even come out this year. And I just finished the Microsoft E3 feeling disappointed that I'm going to sit there and look at my console for another year and probably play it maybe twice. If Halo Infinite comes out, that'll be the only time I turn on my Xbox. If it doesn't, my Xbox probably won't get turned on for the rest of the year, and that is honestly depressing, you know... As a consumer who... I used to be an Xbox fanboy. They were my favorite. I loved them. And, you know, I, I don't hate them. I just want better. I want more. I want something from them. Because Sony, on the other hand, I was not a fan of. And they turned me on to them because of what they've been giving me. Because of the games they've been putting out. Because of the stuff the console can do. And because they didn't make me pay $500 for a console that's not going to have any games for an entire year. That's just my thoughts, though. Yeah, and you have every right to feel that way. I mean, we didn't we didn't buy Xboxes at launch just to have a paperweight. I mean, if I wanted a paperweight, I'd go to Hobby Lobby and spend ten dollars. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't spend three hundred dollars to not play any games. And I mean, I get a little bit of mileage out of it because you know, MLB the Show thankfully this year came out on Game Pass, and I was able to you know save seventy bucks there. But I I feel like there's there's definitely this this. Microsoft's in a very important period. I don't know if Halo will be dead if Infinite fails. 
Um, but I think we also learned last year from Cyberpunk that if a game gets delayed, there's a reason for it. Um, you know, you heard the phrase thrown around all last year that you know a bad game can recover, a broken game cannot. Because I don't think Cyberpunk will ever recover from how bad the launch is. And I hate that here we are six, seven months later talking about it and we're still going on about this. But I don't know if Cyberpunk will ever recover from the bad launch that it had. I mean, it's back on the PlayStation Store. Ain't nobody buying it. So there's no point to it. Um, I think there is hope, though, for Microsoft. I think there's certainly hope for it. I, I don't know that you can call them a winner at E3. But I think that there's enough there. Psychonauts 2 and Back for Blood being on um, on Game Pass. I think there's enough there's enough there to where you might get a little bit of traction going forward. I will say this, and this is not because Matt bought a Series X, <laughs> but I, I feel like the way the first year of the Xbox Series S and X have gone, it further drives home, I think, why Series S's were a little bit more hard to find because they knew people would go for that budget option. Because right now, the budget option, if you ask me as someone who I, I'm as unbiased as I'm trying to be, I feel like the Series S is the right one to buy right now because it's not $500. But that's strictly it. I mean, if you want performance, yes, the Series X is fantastic. But the problem is there's no games to justify that price tag right now. That's the big issue. Because either way, you could have just kept your 1X. Because you got in a Series S if you wanted to play Game Pass. And the problem is, is most of these games that are all... And all these announced, by the way, all these games that were announced are all coming to Game Pass. Or at least 90% yeah. of them are. They all look like games that you can run on an Xbox One. Yeah. They don't look like games that are very, very technically detailed. Not to the extent of a game like Resident Evil Village or Returnal or Rift Apart. Not to those extents at all. And again, that's not just a shot at Xbox. I mean, the Xbox versions of those games, or of one of those games... <laughs> Looks good. My bad. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think that this is an important time for Xbox. If Infinite is a success, that's a big momentum changer. If Back for Blood and Psychonauts 2 are both fantastic games like people think they will be, it's a game changer. So I think that confidently we can say that. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. I'm going to give you we're, I'm gonna give you some here. I want you to change my mind on something. And I bet Matt's already not looking forward to this. <laughs> but we'll start with you then, Matt. I want you to change my mind. Is E3 a necessity, or did last year prove that we don't need it? Honestly, I love E3. I watch it every year. It is the most exciting time um, for me as a gamer and to seeing what new games are coming out. And for the most part, you know, a lot of the companies, especially the big three, have delivered on, you know, very fantastic E3 showings, especially when Sony announced the PlayStation 4's price. Everyone went crazy. And Nintendo's then the following are my year. Favorite thing ever. And the following year, we had a Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, announcement and people were on their streams crying and this is what is great about e3 is just the fact that especially when the community has come together and they, they're streaming these and you're seeing reactions and it's just kind of awesome to see that but um after what we got this year it definitely is showing that i don't think that e3 is as necessary as it used to be because especially nintendo just had a great showing but we know that nintendo also has more directs laid out throughout the yeah. year um, Microsoft normally just does like an event once or twice a year. They'll do like their Xbox showcase at E3 and then they'll do like their uh, whatever you want to call the next event. They, they change the name. And does Xbox have a name Sony? Events? They do. They do? I've never They do have one. I just can't remember what it is right now. But the wow. Sony, Sony hasn't been to E3 in several years. They've shown games but they haven't had like an E3 conference there in several years but that's because they replaced it with Days of Play. And they're following the more Nintendo uh, direct way of doing things, which has worked out very well for them. Look at last year. 
They uh, showed us Miles Morales, Demon Souls. They showed us that you know we, we didn't know what's going on with the PlayStation Five, and then we got that fantastic showing. And this is another reason why you know E3 is kind of losing what made it so special. Is all these other companies are just doing their own thing now, and I think that that works better. No, I, I get that, and I agree with what you say. I think it needs to be made clear. I don't hate E3. I don't hate the idea of E3. I think E3 is very entertaining. Um, I know that, Kyle, we've had this conversation before, and I, again, I want to get your take here. Uh, just with the fact that states of play, the states of play from PlayStation, the direction from Nintendo, Xbox events, I seriously did not know they had a name. So you blew my mind with that, Matt. Um, but uh, I just I feel like with those last year, it's one of those things where maybe we kind of learned that E3 doesn't necessarily need to happen like it used to. I think back in like you know the early 2010s, late 2000s, I feel like E3 really had its firm place. I think with the 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 I'm trying to think of the right word here, but with with how social media is nowadays, I think people have learned that you can just drop a trailer on Twitter and it'll get the same traction. So, Kyle, give me your thoughts on this whole thing then about whether or not you think E3 should still be a thing that happens every single year. I think that the structure to E3 needs to change. If they want to stay relevant, then it needs to not be so much of studios and game companies coming to show off games. It needs to be them coming to talk about games, to show gameplay, to show demos, to more so show things that they talked about in their own conferences. I think that if Nintendo shows up and say, hey, we did a couple of directs a few months ago, at E3, all we're going to be talking about are the games that we have been showing y'all at directs. It's the same reason we don't do this podcast once a year. Gaming news happens every day, every week. If you wait an entire year, a lot of games are being made in that entire year. A lot of studios are doing a lot of things. And if you just flood all of these trailers, flood your entire audience with just, you know, days of just trailers and trailers and trailers, a lot of them can get forgotten. A lot of times... We have issues like Beyond Good and Evil 2, where yeah, they had a, oh, yeah. a fantastic trailer. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best of the last 10 years. Yes. And do you know why that game has not come out? Because they dropped that trailer at E3 when a million other trailers were dropping and it got forgotten about. It got, you know, it was done for. If they had come out as a studio, individually and said hey listen here is this trailer people would have paid attention to it more people would have interacted with them more about it and it would have gotten more attention because they couldn't hide behind all the other good things that they showed and all the other bad things that they showed because if microsoft comes out and they're like hey we got halo infinite coming out here's 50 indie titles guess what you're gonna remember halo infinite i did not need an e3 direct for 50 indie titles however there are people out there who are looking for those indie titles and PlayStation and Nintendo both do it so well where they show off, you know, Nintendo does their directs, they do their tree houses where they, you know, actually sit down, they play the games, they discuss them. I think that's a fantastic oh, yeah. the fantastic strategy. Yeah. Treehouse has been amazing. The states of play, sometimes they're not just states of play. Sometimes they're indie states of play. Sometimes they're exclusive. Sometimes, you know, they're just showing off the whole, you know, the whole spectrum. But they do have days where they're like, hey, we're only showing off indie games. It's not going to be a big state of play. And I think that is smart. I think that that's what it should be because when we go to E3, we're expecting a bunch of big stuff. And 
I get very disappointed when you have two or three games that are AAA exclusives and the rest of your conference was indie titles that could have been shown in a YouTube trailer that was dropped out of nowhere or, you know, dropped on Twitter, on Facebook. I mean, like, I, I mean, you could say nothing. You could say nothing and release a game and people will talk about it because the gaming community is so alive. I mean, it moves so fast. It moves much faster than three days a year. Three days a year is not enough time to cover everything that happens. And I think that E3, if they want to stay relevant, if they want to stay a thing, I think that to capture the, the viewer's audience, they should move to quarterly performances. Or, or not performance, but quarterly um, 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 presentations. Yeah, presentations. Yeah, presentations. And do smaller ones. Have, you know, have Sony, have Microsoft, have Nintendo show up and say, hey, listen, we're giving each of you 30 minutes. Talk about some games that you want to talk about. We'll see you next quarter. That's, I think that's amazing. And then you have, you can still make E3 a three hour long presentation and have 30 minutes of one game company talk about all these games or just a couple of games and then have them show off the games. Have them show off everything they've done. Show off gameplay. Show off trailers. Show off, you know, everything that you have built, you have worked on, you have done with this game. Give me a reason to buy it because CGI trailers are not good enough anymore. I cannot stress enough how much CGI we saw during E3 from everyone. Michael Bay levels of CGI. Yes! <laughs> Michael Bay levels of CGI. Yeah, you know, I think it all just goes to show that E3 is a great thing to have, and I would love that. If it was, you know, four times a year where, you know, they spent time in each quarter or at the end of each quarter talking like, hey, here's in quarter two, here's what you can expect. Here's what you can get from us. Here's what might be coming at the beginning of quarter three that you can look forward to. I think there are ways to keep E3 relevant. And I don't think E3 should just go away. But I think with how social media has evolved, I think that game companies have learned specifically, I think Sony specifically, since they haven't been at E3 in years, I think they've learned that you can drop a trailer on Twitter and it gets the same exact traction as it would get. Because where are most of us watching E3? On YouTube. We're watching one of our favorite YouTubers react to it live, typically. So it's getting the same traction already. It's not changing anything. I've always said that, you know, a lot of that might also be just a business thing. It might just be being a little bit smarter with money, recognizing, hey, maybe we don't need to go to E3. Maybe we can save a little bit of money, allocate those to some of our studios, and allow them to, you know, better their games they're working on. Maybe. I don't know. We don't know what's... Again, important to point out, here at Side Mission, we have zero insider knowledge. <laughs> we have zero that. We're literally just three guys that game, and that's what we're going to do when we get done with this, because by the time you are listening to this, we're probably all going to be binging the the heck out of uh, some Mario Super Golf or is it Super Golf Rush is that the yeah, name of it golf. it's Mitch Mario Golf man like <laughs> plenty to be excited about but we appreciate y'all for listening be sure to check us out on Twitter at Side Mission Pod and on YouTube at Side Mission Podcast for the boys Kyle Lynch Matt Beck I'm Rusty Ellis thank you for listening You've been listening to the Side Mission Podcast. Keep up with new episodes and download your favorites in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.